Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter and book by book. This is a neat one, Esther chapter 7. This is the last book of the Old Testament that we're going to look at for right now. Next week, we're going to jump into the New Testament to really close out things in 2020. But yeah, Esther is is an awesome book. It's, it's a great story, and it has—I think this is the thing that pretty much every commentary or essay that's ever been written on Esther is going to lead with. It has the peculiar, uh, unique attribute of not mentioning God. So what's it doing in the Bible? Well, it, it builds a lot on what we saw last time, I think, with uh, Pastor Nicely when we were talking about Nehemiah 6. It really just, in, in a kind of artistic way, emphasizes that God is really in control of all things. And uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's too bad that I don't have uh, uh, Pastor Parviz to say this, but uh, this is kind of like the uh, example par excellence in the Bible of uh, that Hamlet quote, hoist with his own petard, because God just turns it around on the enemies of his people today. Joining us, we've got, as our guest, really glad that we have uh, this regular guest returning today with us. We've got Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor in Hanover, uh, Missouri, uh, serving at uh, Cape Girardeau. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm doing great. I, uh, uh, we, we started off with a very uh, beautiful uh, morning, uh, singing happy birthday to uh, our daughter, who just turned two years old, our little Natalie. So big, big day for her. Well, congratulations. Thanks. How are wonderful. you doing? I am I'm holding together well. Um, my, my physical health seems to be fine. To the best of my knowledge, I have no infections or viruses, but, good, good. you know, that just means that I don't know everything, so... <laughs> well, it, it's a mercy that we don't. <laughs> I, That's right. I, th- I the think Lord, that, the uh, Lord continues to give me air to breathe, water to drink, food to sustain me, and a loving spouse, and a house to protect me from the weather. So I'm fine. There you go. Yeah, no, it, it's a. Uh, I, I think that we would we would all probably be driven a little crazy if we knew to what extent our bodies were actually filled with. Uh, bacteria and viruses and every other thing. Uh, these things, uh, well, like the psalmist says, they're 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 too high for me. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but look, looking here today at Esther, uh, it, it really is a it, it's a, it's a neat chapter, and I, and I and I guess it does kind of even have that kind of wisdom element we've been talking about lately, where you, you just see how wow, like how is it that God lines up all of these things in in just the right way? Uh, to have this happen, and, and this is what God seems to do time and again, but here in Esther, just how God works this most unlikely of salvations for his people. Yeah, the the, uh, the arrangement that God is using here, uh, Esther obviously is a, a key part of it, but he is using the, the Medo-Persian Empire. He continues to work. This is after Cyrus, the Lord's anointed, has allowed for the restoration of the temple, and yet the people of Israel still suffer in a land of exile because not all of them have returned. But God has not abandoned them to the enemy. He continues to care for those who turn to him. And we see this especially in the the reference to the request that was made of uh, Mordecai to ask the people 
who are the Hebrew people to have a time of fasting, which is a spiritual mm-hmm. activity. It, it reflects repentance and dependence on God. So we see that their relationship with God is strengthened by going through trials and tragedy. Well, this is something for us to remember as well. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that out, that not everyone returned home uh, when, when that proclamation was made. And, and we know when we looked at Ezra, we saw some of the reasons too, right? Some, some of the people uh, who were there um, in, in Babylon were, were just old, and, and to have, or, yep. or they were weak, or they were sick, um, you know, and, and or, or perhaps uh, pregnant, right? And so in all those sorts of circumstances, mm-hmm. making that trek back to Judah would have been perilous, and so there are some who stay behind, but you, you see here how in this story, even those who stay behind have a, a part to play in, in God's plan, which I think is, is really cool. It, to me, it's kind of like uh, in the New Testament where uh, the Lord heals uh, the demon-possessed man in the Gerizines, right? And, and, he, and he wants mm-hmm. to be with Jesus, but he says, no, no, you, you stay here. I've got to go on. But he still has a part to play in Christ's plan. Yes, he's, he's given the direction specifically to go back home and talk to the people he already knows, who will, in fact, in one level, be, I, will, I would use the phrase, more significantly impacted by the contrast yeah. than if he were mm-hmm. to go to a place where no one knew him before. Yeah, no, that, that's right. That that and, and we don't and we don't see that, right? It was just very it's very natural for us as human beings just to assume that uh, the people who are going to have the biggest impact are the ones center stage. But actually, yes. like you're saying, um mm-hmm. oftentimes God can work all kinds of good um well off to the side, off on one of the side stages. You know, one of the things that maybe isn't going to get a lot of um notice it, is never going to go viral. That doesn't mean that God can't use that to in some ways work an even uh, bigger uh, good from that. Yes, and I see this happen frequently in Christian congregations where the members of the parish have been involved with the, the Word of God, worship, and then they go home to their own families or they'll go back to work or school uh, the week after that worship event, and they continue to make an impact. And later, I'll hear this person from the congregation did this for us, but nobody at church heard about it. It was God's people being salt and light, as Jesus calls us to be. Yeah, amen. Well, uh, before we go ahead and, and read through, uh, and maybe we can introduce a, just a little, say a few more remarks uh, by way of introduction, but before we do, would you rather open us up with a prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Emmanuel, you who have called us to be yours, having first come to be with us, open our eyes to your truth. Let the light of your word shine in the darkness that this world causes us to encounter. Use what we hear today from your scriptures, what we share together today, to touch the lives and the hearts of those who hear. Give healing and strength to those who are ill. Bless those who are homeless. Give your guidance and care to those seeking employment or those whose jobs are uncertain, that they remember that indeed all things do come from you and bless them with patience as you provide a new way for them to serve one another in this world. Thank you most of all that you have come to be with us now and to the end of the age so that we might one day stand in your courts and rejoice at your throne. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for that prayer. I appreciate how, um, I mean, really what, what the way you were, you were framing it was, I think it lends itself to what we were just talking about this, this balance and, um, this dynamic in Esther, how I, I think during the, the pandemic, whether it's because of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a layoff or just working from home or, um, not being able to travel and go see family like you normally do during the holidays. Right. I think that a lot of us can feel, uh, left behind in Babylon, right. You know, uh, left out right. off to the, mm -hmm. to the side, not, not where everybody else is or where we want to be, where, where we kind of think the, the main good thing is happening. Right. And, and so I think, I think we can relate to that in a lot of ways, but, uh, but yeah, you still see God, God working and, and we, and we call for him to work even in those places. Cause we know he does all the time. Mm -hmm. He's always working. Sometimes we notice. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe even most of the time we don't. Um, well, exactly. let's take a let's take a look here. So, so we're we're going to do um, chapter seven today. It's really it was really hard to pick one chapter of Esther. This is a uh, you know like a lot of these little books, kind of like Jonah. Um, it, you want to just read the whole thing, but I, I tried to pick one chapter. Kind of had the the big climactic mm -hmm. moment here, chapter seven. Uh, but we'll read a little bit of chapter five just to get like a little bit of context, the first eight verses. But um, may maybe just kind of set up the story for us here before we start reading in chapter five, because we're kind of already coming into this halfway through. Yeah, the, the basic uh, situation is that the, the king has replaced his queen because she displeased him in the midst of a drunken party. He wanted her to come and display her beauty, and she didn't want to show up in front of a collection of, of inebriated people, and so mm -hmm. she refused. So his response was, kick her out and get a new one. Mm -hmm. turns out that the one who replaces the queen is from the people of Israel, but this isn't known to the, the king or those who select the, the queen for him. And in the process, she has established a close relationship of favor with him, and her cousin discovers a plot to harm God's people and says, you need to go and talk to the king because you're the one who has access. And so she plans to have a banquet in which she will set the groundwork for explaining the problem the people of Israel face and the fact that this will actually harm the empire. And she has to appeal to the emperor, the king's uh, political concerns, far more than to emotional issues because he sits in the power and struggles with a real problem, which is the law of the Medes and Persians was such that once the king, uh, the ruler, made a decree that certain things would happen, he couldn't rescind it. He couldn't countermand it. Right. It was in place permanent. So now mm -hmm. she's trying to find a way to deal with the problem that exists without violating the sense of honor that her husband has. And so she's walking a delicate line between getting a rescue done and keeping the king in a position where he doesn't lose either his his public uh, authority or his affection for his wife. So, you know, it's, it's a pl tough place to be. Yeah, thank you. I, I think you hit on a whole bunch of different um, different motifs that you just see throughout Scripture. I, just, I was just kind of making notes as, as you were talking. One, you have the, the motif of the, the rash vow, right, uh, which, which you see is all mm -hmm. over the Old Testament. Uh, these things usually do not— end well usually end in somebody dying uh you you have right. the the idea of uh 
kings or even just husbands uh, re replacing their wives, having some cause to be displeased with them. Um, that that's something that that you see, and it's a it's a it's a terrible thing. But here, God's working some good through it. Uh, you got uh, the bold request, like we saw last time in Nehemiah, where you have this you know uh, th th this eunuch, right? This this nobody saying like. Hey, can mm -hmm. I can I go be governor and build the walls of, of uh, Jerusalem? Uh, you got honoring the spouse, like you were saying. Uh, you know, Esther, mm -hmm. she she doesn't have a an Israelite husband, but she still honors uh, her husband. The idea of saving face and allowing others to save face, and then that that once the 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 authority of the king, right? The the authority of the word, the authority of a uh, in, in this case, you know, the the king's word, and that once it goes out, it can't go back. Right. Um, we we saw that when we looked at Daniel, right, with uh, Daniel and the lions, den mm -hmm. and how Daniel's adversaries use that. Right. So there's a whole whole bunch of these themes uh, that that you see just kind of pervasively all over the scriptures, and they all just happen in one story here. <laughs> right, just collected in one spot, and yet the word of the the name of God isn't isn't used, but the right. people of God are certainly present. Right. Yep. No. I, and then there's 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 a lot going on there. But um, yeah. Th thanks for that introduction here. So yeah, we we have the situation here. Um, Esther is is trying to find uh some way to to win the salvation of her people. Um, like you were saying, her cousin Mordecai has let her in on what's what's going on. Um, and and, and the the situation the, the lead up to chapter five is that uh she she's risking her life and this this is this is the bold request motif like Nehemiah where yeah we we saw when we read Nehemiah how mm -hmm. he was he was concerned right i mean he he was he was scared to even be, be showing his emotions and like you know like really show his cards right i mean it's just you, right. you don't know how the king's going to react and and so and here uh, there's like well th there's there's this law that if she just shows up unannounced unrequested um I mean that that could be that could be her life, right? And so she is going to Absolutely. gamble with her life here for the sake of trying to save her people. And I think it's important to understand that that she's risking her life to do that which is good and that which is yes. right. It's mm -hmm. it's possible for us to simply say, well, they're her her community, the family from which she comes, so she's certainly going to risk saving them. But it's also the right thing to do because. Haman's desire to kill him is based on jealousy, mm -hmm. not on any evil done by the the Jewish people in the in the country. So this is right. God standing up for the right through one who is willing to die that good will continue. Which that, that, that's a good point. It, it's not as if she's <laughs> risking her life because she's going to bust somebody out of prison, right? Who's on death row mm -hmm. because they were justly right. convicted, right? It, it's not. It's not like that. She's. She's she's uh yeah she is risking her own life, uh, but but she's doing it like you said to I mean save the innocent here, um really from right. a, mm -hmm. a pernicious plot on on the part of Haman. So um in the in that way and actually we, we start off with a, a phrase that will I think uh, make this point a little bit. Uh, you see Esther already acting as a Christ figure that she's willing to put her life on the line if it's for the sake of mm -hmm. God's people. So. With that, let's go ahead and read uh, these first eight verses just to give us some context, like we were saying, in Esther chapter 5, and then we'll just uh, hop right over to Esther chapter 7. All right, so here's chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. 
and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And here's chapter 7 then. So the, the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. Just a, a great story, well told, mm -hmm. lots of lots of drama and suspense, right? And, and there are some people who, uh, I, I guess the question, we'll, and we'll have to deal with this, because I think this is one of the big interpretive questions, is um, why does Esther keep putting it off, right? Like, she, she gets this request from the king, but we, there's, a, there's a sequence, we only read part of it, but she keeps saying, well, just, uh, you know, I, I'm going to prepare a big feast for you guys, and, you know, come to that, and then I'll let you know. Well, if... Well, if I found favor in your sight, well, just uh, there's a feast tomorrow, an even bigger one, and I'll tell you then, right? And so she keeps putting it off. Um, and, and so some people say, like, oh, well, it's it's just a, 
I don't know, it's just a narrative technique. It's just to make the story more interesting and more dramatic or something. But I, I think there's more to it than that. Uh, but, but yeah, you, you do see that. I think, um, uh, I think, I think the theme that you brought out of uh, saving face and honor mm -hmm. and, and what, what the public image is like, I, I think all those things really, uh, loom large in this story. Yes, there's there's the, the sequence of, of acknowledging who is who is the one who is seeking his own glory. And yeah. as we look at Esther, she's humbling herself. And mm -hmm. and she rather than coming out with a request the first day, she's going to go ahead and postpone her need in order to give the king another special meal. And yeah. I think part of the the irony of this of course is that Haman is involved with this, but in the between the the first section we heard back in chapter five, Haman goes home and sets up this this gallows because yep. he's so insane at seeing Mordecai, and, and his anger just eats him alive, if you will. And and so we see here that Haman has in fact created an idol out of his hatred for Mordecai and his people, and and he's blinded by his idol and as as uh, pastor ted cober uh pointed i'm sorry not pastor ted cober pointed out um in, in the book that he's written built on the rock um he, he points out that eventually an idol does one of two things it requires the death of the idol or the death of the idol worshiper and sometimes both hmm. and what we're seeing here is in the babylonian and and then the medo-persian empires they worship false gods. They do not worship the true God. Now, as we've said before, the name of God is not mentioned in this particular book, but the people of God are present. And as we think about God having restored Jerusalem and restored the temple so that now his anger is gone, we see him caring for yeah. his people outside of the promised land. And by having these Consecutive, consecutive days of feast, we see that God is patient. And there's possibility, it's not given to us in these words, but it's possible that between the first feast and the second feast, Mordecai may have repented himself. He hmm. could have been turned, but he isn't. Instead, he is so firmly set in his hatred that he will not change his mind, even though the queen has at this feast. Now, he does not know, if, as, as of right now, that Esther is from the people of Mordecai, but clearly his, his idol of revenge uh -huh. is right. blinding him to the good that Mordecai has done as well. And I think the other thing that's important here is to recognize that the, the feasting on the first day includes food and wine and, and relaxing, so that the next day there's already this sense of camaraderie, participation, Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use the word fellowship, mm -hmm. that Mordecai uh, would have been part of had the king properly recognized Mordecai to begin with. But now Haman's in the place, and Haman, the one who is, you know, without sounding too heavily uh, typological, he is the yeah. betrayer who is now going to be hung. And, and yeah. Oh, of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. No. I. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You. You wouldn't be the first to make that connection. I, I, absolutely right. Um, Certainly. Yeah. No. I, I mean. Well. And of course, there's. Uh. Th that's a pretty. 
that's a pretty rich irony too there, right? That that in some ways the betrayer is is trying to get this one innocent person to be to be hanged, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and killed. But in the end, that person is not dead. Rather, it is the betrayer who's dead and hanged, right? Um, yeah. And of course, with with Jesus Christ, uh, it's not because he uh, gets out of it at the last second, but rather he he goes through it and then he gets out of it mm-hmm. um, afterwards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no. There, there's some really there's some really good stuff, I I think, and and that does bring up a. Actually, we are, we already got one of the uh, questions here. Um, just to what extent it's proper for believers today to be commemorating, uh, well, Purim, right? Uh, good, good, good questions. It's time for our break already, but everybody, when we get back, we'll be taking this up again, looking more at Esther on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. idea of friendship is not like the experience. An idea won't help you move that piano down the stairs. That's when you need an actual flesh and blood friend, preferably one with a truck. Likewise, Dr. Michael Ziegler says ideas about God are not the same thing as experiencing God and his love for you in Jesus Christ. This week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the good news of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Trinity Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Village Lutheran Church at 1040, as well as Bible studies from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. Hello there, uh, from Scottville, Michigan. We appreciate having KFUO streaming into our home. The programs on KFUO have really built up our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you to all the staff for continuing to bring the good news to all the world. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at the book of Esther, particularly chapter 7, uh, but looking a little bit, too, at chapter 5, and uh, while we were just talking a little bit, too, about some of the intervening material there in chapter 5 and chapter 6 here, with our guest, Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor in uh, Hanover, uh, Cape Girardeau, uh, Missouri. And uh, if you've got a question for me or Pastor Tice and you're listening live, great opportunity here to join the conversation. If you have any questions, you can give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send in those questions or comments via email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Got a couple that came in already. Um, so one of them is, uh, what's the nature and how important is Esther's relationship with the king? Um, is that relationship more important than her Hebrew heritage in the outcome of the story? 
Uh, yeah, you know, and, and I think that Pastor Tice was already getting at this. There is a balancing act here that that she's performing, and and you, we see this. Um, we saw this with with Nehemiah. We saw this with Daniel. But how you can be loyal and faithful to your your pagan worldly authorities. Uh, that's to say, you're, you're the authorities that are not of the faith and these power structures that exist in a very worldly uh, sense, uh, but still also mm-hmm. be loyal to God. So yeah, no, that's, that's a good question. I hope we can take that one up in a moment here. Um, just looking at another one of these email questions here. Uh, is, yeah, so yeah, is it proper for believers today to officially commemorate the saving of the Jewish people and the progenitors of our salvation? Well, that that does seem like a slightly loaded question, but that's okay. I ask those all the time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So why why don't we uh, you know have uh, Purim uh, festivals, right? Um, it, eh, well, that's 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 a good question too. Um, yeah, so so yeah, good questions on on email there. We'll take a look at some of those. Uh, also, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa for the live stream. Uh, got some questions that popped up there. We'll take a look at in just a second. I want to make want to make sure though before I forget to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support of Thy Strong Word. Their website is lhfmissions.com. That is plural. They're doing things all over the world. And so, yep. yes, let, let's uh, let's, re- let's return to this. Um, so okay. I, I think I think that, well, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to take one of those email questions here? You can just pick whichever one stands out to you. Well, I was, I was going to just very quickly jump, jump on the, the Purim, the, uh, the oh, celebration yeah. of this. Well, partly the reason we as Christians don't do it is because it's not recorded as a biblical holiday commanded by God repeating every year. And the other reason we don't, uh, as Christians, observe it is we're never told Jesus observed it. Now, that's not a command or a, or a uh, prohibition against or for observing it. It's that we, we see other things that are commemorated and are observed. And what we're looking at here in, in a very real way is that we have a type of Satan seeking to destroy the people of God. Mm-hmm. And, and in the process of trying to kill God's people, he is, in fact, eventually killing himself, much like the real situation where Satan thought by having Jesus handed over, betrayed, and crucified, he was going to win, when in fact he was literally serving God's purpose to complete our salvation. I think here we see the uh, the Christian church observing instead the spiritual rescues that God gives for instance, I have a couple of friends of mine who have a Jewish background uh, regularly celebrate the festival of the dedication of the temple, and that, that comes out in modern language as Hanukkah. But mm-hmm. what they're celebrating is the fact that God restored the temple so the people yeah. would have the place to worship and for Christ to come to it when he arrives. And, and that spiritual dimension is, I think, what we highlight far more than a physical rescue. Now, Passover has moved into the Christian celebration of Holy Week and and the Resurrection. Right. So we keep that celebration intact as part of our commemoration of God's rescue, but not the Babylonian rescue, partly because there was no command from God to observe it. The others... Uh, have more of the command from God and then God's promise to restore the temple uh, to his people um, so that the Lord would be able to enter it. Now, that's that's my response yeah. to the loaded 
called it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, no. Well, I, hang on a second. Let me let me just play. I think I think that we're we we have a, a pretty similar take on this, but I just want to play devil's advocate for a second. I mean, there's no recorded observance of Christmas or command to observe Christmas in the Bible either, I, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. So doesn't that seem inconsistent? And, and the, no, it's not inconsistent in this. The early Christian church celebrated the Annunciation, the, the Incarnation, as Gabriel announces to Mary that she is going to be the mother of God's Son. And then the, the celebration of Christmas is tied to the belief that six months, or I'm sorry, nine months after conception, one is born and that one dies on the same day one was conceived, which is, you know, an ancient tradition. But the the focus is that God's angels announce this is the one who brings peace on earth, goodwill to men, and there's no angel announcing anything in Hmm. the Feast of Purim, which, which is another way of saying God himself announces this event to be observed, by people who otherwise would miss it. And what we are celebrating in Christmas is the fact that God chose an infant as his way of being present with us. Not a king, not a ruler, not an army leader, not a wealthy, powerful nobleman, but a helpless, poor infant born in a small village and placed in a feed box because of the crowded conditions. And so the contrast between yeah. who God is and his glory and power and the nature of, of the infant birth causes yeah, us I, to say, if the angel came and announced it, we should right. observe it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's, that's, that's a that's a neat answer. And I, I don't think I had actually even connected the dots quite that way. But yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? You have the angel announcing it. Um, for that matter, you could say that it is recorded because, hey, don't the uh, Magi show up with presents, right? So, <laughs> yes, you know, and that's and that's actually, you know, from from the text, we know that's that's after, right, his birth. Um, you know, maybe he sure. was one or Maybe that was his, you know, second birthday, even right. I mean, who, who knows? But sometime right. afterwards. So, I mean, they are kind of literally uh, celebrating Christmas. So, no, oh, right. I, I think that I think that's a yeah. So, I think that's a, that's a fair answer. I think the other side of it too, though, is actually to call um, uh, call out the assumption though that we don't celebrate Purim because it's actually on the church calendar the commemoration of Esther, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, what yeah. what are we doing when we commemorate Esther? Except for, I mean, celebrating this basically right what happens in the story sure. and thanking god mm-hmm. for what happened so I, I would actually challenge the notion that we don't celebrate it now uh it doesn't look the same as um you know th- those today who call themselves uh, jewish but who don't follow the right. lord jesus mm-hmm. right i mean they have a different way of celebrating it but that doesn't mean that like we're celebrating it and uh, they're not or you know they're celebrating rather uh, doesn't mean that they're mm-hmm. celebrating it, we're and we're not um but it does i think probably probably bring up that uh, the church calendar has been neglected a little bit in uh, in recent years. So, uh, James, that, that part of your question is... That. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's real fair. Yep. But I, I think the, uh, the other thing, too, is to recognize that the church observes certain things that the Old Testament people of God did observe. We, we don't observe the Feast of Booths any longer because that was tied specifically to the living in the land of promise yeah. and celebrating the, the arrival in the place of safety. So we'll have a different kind of 
place of safety. And, and uh, I mildly connected to this. My brain always does this to me, and I don't know if I can give the Holy Spirit credit or just blame the way my brain works. <laughs> but, you know, what they did was they went and lived in, in tents or booths made of, of branches and things in, in, their, in their yards or in, in yeah. their communities to remind them of living in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about you and me being in an earthly tent and recognizing that this is our temporary housing to recall that we are here for a time in this land, but we have a land of promise ahead of us. So we haven't had the arrival in the promised land yet. Therefore, as Christians, we don't celebrate what hasn't taken place. We don't recall dwelling in booths in the wilderness because we still are. Well, no, and that's... I, I like that, right? That we're still going through this, and I think actually that ties into something that just just hit me while while you were speaking, which is that I feel like in some mm-hmm. ways we do observe the mm-hmm. feast of booths, and we call it Lent, right? I mean, right. Y- mm-hmm. y- you have the the, the forty uh, day uh, period of our yep. Lord being tested mm-hmm. and tried in the wilderness, which is the fulfillment of the forty year wilderness wandering. Absolutely, and, and so mm-hmm. and so we track yeah. that actually in the season of Lent with with that. I mean, traditional fast right and so uh yeah. i mean mm-hmm. yeah i mean i'd say well, that, that that counts as the feast of booths i mean we're doing that for 40 whole days right so i mean i think that really like, a lot yeah. of things it's like it's not that we so much like don't observe it or don't celebrate it or it's not important anymore but maybe we have uh lost sight of a lot of the important old testament connections and there's there's no maybe about that that yeah. is one of our huge uh, our huge errors in in the in the modern mm-hmm. Western Church, that we don't know the Old Testament nearly enough, and we're we're losing uh, the richness of the picture there. Uh huh. And I, and part of the challenge, I'm going to do a quick historical analysis. Part of the challenge yeah. comes from the abuse that have attached to these practices over the years. That in order to get rid of the abuse, we got rid of the good use too. Yeah. Or Lucas, threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a reaction that overreacts is not as help is, is no more helpful than than merely discontinuing for the sake of not understanding what you're doing. Yeah, but, yeah, that, that, that's yeah, yeah no, that, that that's a good that's a very good point too. Um, well, let, let's go let's go back to the text here and just I want to take take up just like a few features here that I think are, are pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, if we just go back to chapter five really quick here looking at those first eight verses that, that we read. I already mentioned um, that this on the third day motif, uh, right? Like she's, right. she's risking her life, right, um, to save her people. And on the third day, this is when everything's going to go down. I mean, I mean, so I, I can't help but, you know, see like, okay, there's an Easter uh, thing going on right yeah. there. And that's, uh, I, mean, I mean, too, also she stands, it says, you know, she stood in the inner court of the king's palace, right? Um, and, and and to see that as a connection to the temple, right? Because in the ancient world, the, the temple mm-hmm. is the house of God. The, the palace is the house of the king, right? The king is considered right. a god, right? So, the, I mean, it, it's the same sort of imagery, and, and worship would have happened in uh, mm-hmm. the king's palace. So to, to, to see that as, uh, you know, Christ on the third day, like like he said in fulfillment of that promise that he there he is the the restored temple i think there's some pretty rich uh, mm-hmm. rich typology there also just being in the throne room right like tying that in with the ascension yes mhm yeah and this is again and again 
I think we hear the words and we've heard them so long. This is one of the real challenges for those of us who have grown up in the church. We hear the term so often we no longer get their impact, mm-hmm. or at least their full impact. When we talk about Jesus says the reign of heaven or the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. and, and these Old Testament pictures of a ruler, a monarch, who is not the promised one and yet has authority and power, all of them in a minor way, point to the day when the true king will arrive. And, and so we see this recurring theme that God appoints governments for his purposes, and they serve as long as yeah. he desires them, and then he replaces them. So that all of these are, in the first article realm, part of right. God maintaining order and security and creation. But when we look at second article um, intention, we see a God who is saying, the true reign of my son is ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And when that comes, then the peace will truly exist and there won't be injustice any longer. A bunch of things that we read in the Advent lessons. Yeah. And we, we, miss, we miss the cultural context of the inequity the people lived with in those days. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's well said. And I, and I think, too... Um, when we, it makes the juxtaposition then all the more striking when, you know, like you, you said at the beginning, you know, Cyrus, you know, is called the Lord's anointed uh, by Isaiah, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you see how, right. wow, like these these faulty, even corrupt rulers and authorities, I mean, they do, you know, in God's providence, you know, foreshadow uh, the reign of Christ, and they, and they even you know, typify I mean, you know, the, the reign, the reign of God in a lot of ways. And like, I mean, we saw that even last time in Nehemiah that, um, I mean, I mean, you, you know, when, when Nehemiah is before the king, right? Like pleading, uh, for the sake of the people, mm-hmm. I mean, like you have an image of, of, of Christ before the throne of God interceding on our behalf. And so, I mean, isn't that something that God, you know, deigns to use sinners and even just people who, who don't know the faith even, uh, to represent, uh, the economy of, of his salvation, albeit in a, in a veiled and, and, and dark way here. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot, a lot of good things. Um, you can see that too, in terms of like, you know, the queen, uh, winning you know, favor, right. You know, think of, uh, you know, this is, this is my son whom I love. Right. And whom yeah. I'm well mm-hmm. pleased. Right. So, I mean, these sorts of things. So, so he, he makes then this offer. What is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. So here, here's kind of the, uh, the, the kind of rash vow stuff, right? I mean, th- this is, uh, this yeah. is like the good version mm-hmm. of what's going to happen in the New Testament, where Herod says, "I'll right. give you anything," and it ends up being John the Baptist's head, right? So, I mean, th- th- right. that's a reversal, mm-hmm. I feel like, of what happens in Esther, um, because in the end, yeah. uh, Mordecai's head gets saved here. And and what's interesting is, uh, anytime we have a phrase repeated from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and and the Holy Spirit guides the either the apostle or the evangelist. To record that phrase, there is a need for us to step back and say, what's the connection between Old Testament and New Testament here that the phrase is, in fact, recorded for us? And you mentioned the the, the rash vow concept. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is to recognize that what Christ offers us is not up to half of his kingdom. Yeah, yeah. We receive yeah. all of it. We are co-heirs yeah. with him. And we will reign in heaven with him. We don't get half the kingdom. We get the whole deal. 
Yeah. That, no, that, that's and that's a point that's I mean, and that's what Paul says himself, right? I mean, he says there um, mm-hmm. in I'm not get my wires crossed here. I think it's like in the opening chapter of Ephesians that that we have uh, not just been like crucified, you know, you know buried, uh, raised to life in Christ, but also lifted up to the heavens and seated enthroned mm-hmm. with Christ, right? I mean, uh, th- right. there's this uh, yep. there's this Jesse Tree devotional that we've been uh, making use of as a congregation uh, here in St. Paul's. And uh, I mean, I think the thing that uh, is good to bring out more than, than typically is, but if, if you talk about, you know, being part of, you know, Jesse's tree, right? Well, that that's the royal tree. <laughs> that's that's better than just yeah. kind of adoption in, in, in the modern Western sense of like, oh, you get to be part of the family and sleep under this roof. And, you know, you maybe can have our last name or something like, no, I mean, this is like, you know, you, you get a throne too. I mean, this is like with uh, well, in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Where uh, the, the yeah. children they, they go to Narnia, and there's there's there they are in the castle. There's thrones for them. I mean, I mean, like you're saying. I mean, I think this is a this is an underappreciated, gigantic aspect of of, of Christian salvation. Yes, mm-hmm. we are united to our head. We are part of his body, and if our head is on the throne, where the head is, there the body will be also, which is not my phrase, obviously, but, you know, yeah. this is the, yeah. the connection we have. that We are intimately joined to our Savior in a way that, that is beyond our comprehension. We can express the words, but it's beyond our comprehension. Uh, uh, absolutely. Well, um, let's get, a bit of, get back to the text really quick, and let, let's tackle the, this delay sure. stuff here. Um because one of the things, and I spent some time thinking about this here, you know, so he asks, uh, well, okay, let, let, let's make sure that we, we get this. Okay, she is very boldly wagering her life here uh, for the sake of her people, and and she goes into, uh, you know, the, the entrance to the palace, right? Um, you, not just anyone can go there, right? Like, you're supposed to be requested. So there's not a lot of people right. here, but she shows up. She touches the tip of the scepter. She wins the favor, right? But this is not mm-hmm. the most public setting, and I and I think this I think this is key. So so he asks, well, what what's your request, Queen Esther? Right? But Esther, I think wisely, and so this this is here my reading of it, um, is wisely saying, look, uh, I don't. <laughs> Uh, on Facebook here, Paul's saying it's just that Esther was a procrastinator. Ah, no, 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 Paul. No. So <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, it wasn't that. It, it's that she knows, right? Like she needs to get this promise made publicly, right? Uh, we, 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 and and yeah. I think that actually having the Gospels is a nice foil because it says that Herod, when, when he promised this uh, um, uh, to uh, his what was it, his daughter-in-law, um, um, when he makes yes. that promise, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want to take it back. Because he doesn't want to lose face in front of everyone at the at the banquet, right? I mean that that is, mm-hmm. I mean I, I got I got to think that there's some kind of storytelling connection between Esther and and what happens with John the Baptist. But so so she wants this to be in public. She wants this to be at a banquet. She wants to be this to be at a big shindig, so that when he makes that promise in front of everybody in that setting, he cannot take it back. Because I mean that that's what she's got to do. She's got to go for it, and she's got to get this like. I mean, mm-hmm. she, she needs this promise, not just, you know, like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I, I said that, but no, 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 no. I mean, she needs to, this to be, like, sure. on TV. She needs this to go viral, uh, because, like you said, she's up against 
the other public decree he made that the Jews would be exterminated by, by Haman. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, there is a, a political dimension here that, that can't be overlooked, even though we don't know exactly what it is. She still had to live with it and deal with it. And I think this is the book that somebody pointed out to me years ago. I had used it for a course at one point in time as the title. Everything is politics, but politics isn't everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. And and I think this is part of this is part of understanding. Politics just means it's a public thing involving more than one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's literally what the yeah. word politics. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Implies so that so that we are doing things that are not hidden, doing things that then can be then testified to, and in a way, getting back to what you said earlier, she is making sure that her husband, the king is able to acknowledge why he's doing what he's doing yeah. without sounding like wishy-washy. Yeah, no, no, and that and that's key. And and so that that's actually it's it's brilliant what she's doing. I think this gets to that, back to the uh, the question we got from from James over email, right? What when it comes to you, what mm-hmm. is the nature and how important is Esther's relationship with the king? You know, is it you know which which side's kind of more important for the outcome? The, the brilliant thing about Esther is she is she nails both sides of this, both of her vocations. As as queen mm-hmm. and wife, right? Um, who who is loyal right. and faithful to her husband, right? Who supports him and makes him look good, helps him save face, right? And and also yeah. as a, a faithful member of God's people, she does both at the same time, and, and it's brilliant because how how do you let the king get off the hook, right? He's made this proclamation, he made it a big deal, right. like yeah, mm-hmm. Haman, he's my guy, he's you know like he yeah, do what he says. We're going to round up the Jews, whatever he says, right? You know, he's my right-hand man. So how is she mm-hmm. going to get him off the hook so that he can change his mind, right? Like, how, how is she going to lower the cost, right, politically, like you were saying, of, of repentance, right? right? And, and that's what she does yeah. brilliantly by having this, this big feast and then, right, having Haman right there denouncing him publicly in front of everybody. Now, no one will think any less of the king when he flips on Haman, because everyone's going to say, oh, my God, look what Haman did to the king. And, and the key, I think, comes back to up to this point in time. The king does not know that Esther is one of the people Haman is trying to kill. Haman mm-hmm. himself doesn't know it. But the minute her identity connected to Mordecai comes out, it's clear that the king was put in a position where he was authorizing people to kill his wife. Yep, yep. He, he didn't know that, so she's also protecting—it's going to sound really weird—she's protecting her husband's relationship with her from his ignorance, mm-hmm. which, as you said before, is part of her vocation. You know, there have been occasions where my wife has simply said, you know, I, I have to make sure that this doesn't happen so that you are not embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, no, that, that that's a great connection. It reminds me of the story of David, right, where where you have uh, Michal and even Jonathan, yeah. right, who who mm-hmm. are helping their husband not to become a murderer well, any any more than he had become one already. But but I mean, there is something about right. that. Yeah, and and you mentioned the word vocation. She is she is able to live in both vocations because her focus is never on herself. Yeah, this is I think the key in this whole story is that Esther has never put herself forward. Her her cousin Mordecai put her forward. God arranged that the king would choose her, 
But she never was the one saying, I'm the big deal here. She was always saying other people matter more. You know, as Paul talks about it in, in Philippians, you know, not thinking of herself too highly, but first looking to the needs of others, which is what you and I are called to. And, and as we do this by the power of God's Holy Spirit, because we've been made new in God's Spirit, God is glorified. Turns yeah. out real well for Esther and Mordecai and the rest of the people in, in, in Babylon as well, but God is glorified. And that's, I think, the primary reason the book is recorded is God is glorified because Esther doesn't put herself in first position. Amen. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I think I think we saw it a little bit yesterday how uh, with Nehemiah, how that that humility enabled him to be bold. And and it's just like you're saying, like this humility, this the selflessness of Esther enables her to fulfill her vocations, Mm -hmm. to be faithful and and to and to glorify God. And in that way, she really not just, you know, with the three days thing, but just in spades throughout typifies and prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thing, right? Because we're talking about, you know, this this woman. But, I mean, she is the one um, who gets to prefigure Christ in this way because he, when and he comes, he comes humbly, and he, he honors and submits to his parents as a child. He honors and submits to the authorities, the, the I mean, you know, the corrupt mm-hmm. authorities around him, right? He, he doesn't disrespect yep. them even, but he, he fulfills the vocations yeah. and he gives— Glory to God as he saves us, his people. Yeah, this is certainly Christ at work. And and the the call uh, that I mentioned earlier that where the head is, the body is also. As a believer, in the promises of God, Mordecai and, and Esther are, are part of the same body that we are. It's so easy a- to separate amen. ourselves from them historically, but spiritually we're tied to them. Amen. Brother, all out of time for today, um, but thank you so much. Uh, just some brilliant insights, and uh, just on, on, a, on a personal note, I've really enjoyed being able to work with you uh, over the past, I mean, oh, more than a year now, as, as we've had you on repeatedly on Thy Strong Word. I just appreciate your, your creativity, your openness, your patience with me, and uh, you're, you're a model uh, for what I, how I hope to conduct myself as a pastor. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you. The Lord gets all the glory for this because he's the one doing the work. Amen. Everybody, that's Pastor Stephen Tice, Hanover, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. All right, like like we said, we're going to go on to the New Testament next week. On Monday, we're going to be looking at Luke. Tomorrow, i got a pre-recorded psalm. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace.